Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life. There's a lot of scary stuff that people don't realize. Like if people knew that we're going to have to almost double food production between now and 2050 because of this population explosion, that is a tall order and IoT can help. You're listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey, brought to you by Very. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Very, and today we've got Part two of our recorded conversation with Rob Tiffany, Vice President and Head of Strategy at Ericsson and Executive Director at the Moab Foundation, or as I like to call him, the godfather of IoT. In today's episode, we're going to briefly touch on Skynet before diving into social media and the future of IoT. Let's dive in. Let's go in a Skynet direction now. So... (laughs) You know, so we've got, we've talked about the pitchforks. We talked about job replacement, scary stuff there. Like you said, doing it to ourself. Skynet is, of course, another thing that the humans did to themselves. This, of course, was in the fictional biopic. <laughs> Terminator 1, yeah. 2, and 3. And, you know, one of these things that I hear people in tech starting to talk about now is capitalism used to mean, or maybe it still does mean, you know, hey, look, just free market's going to invisible hand in the market's going to set the rules on this thing and just go like hell and compete. And now, you know, we're seeing tech start to do things that I I don't think this is political. I think a lot of people across the spectrum are saying, man, Facebook is an outrage machine. I mean, they have an algorithm that is designed to stoke outrage. I don't think you know, very many listeners out there would say, hey, Facebook brings increased joy to my life. They I mean, they feel <laughs> trapped because of the single sign-on, because of the marketplace feature, because of whatever. So they, they maybe feel trapped. And so there's this question now. What do you think is the direction we're headed with tech, with IoT? What are some of these, like, I'm not asking you to define exactly where the line is, you know, and if you're out there in the audience, by the way, we'd love to hear from you on this topic. You know, weigh in on LinkedIn. Where, where do you think are some of these lines where tech should say, okay, look, we're not going to dabble in that. It is beyond yeah. the pale for us to be stoking outrage, for us to be, you know, causing under 18-year-old females to experience levels of depression previously beyond anything anybody thought about. And they're doing it intentionally. Because they know this is what gets reactions, it gets clicks, it gets eyeballs, it gets ad revenue. Where are some of these lines that you're worried about that you think people should be thinking about in capitalism 2.0? Yeah, it's funny you say Skynet. I've actually had people tell me in the past that I'm building Skynet. A lot of people, when I've described some of the giant systems I built, you know, like Lumata is this huge industrial IoT thing. It's in the leader's quadrant for Gartner. And when I describe what it does, they go, are you building Skynet? What's going on? So for... (laughs) For all the listeners out there, let me just go ahead and make it official. We're definitely going to have Rob on for a follow-up episode. (laughs) We couldn't fit even half of the topics into today. So we'll talk Skynet proper. We'll talk Lumata proper. 
next time around. Today, talk to me about yeah. some of these lines that you see these as lines. a parent, as a human, yeah. as a technologist. Absolutely. Well, you know, technology was always supposed to help us. It was a helper. It was a tool. Whether it's technology in new processes, new hardware, mechanization, and the rise of software revolution. And obviously, Mark Andreessen reminded us that software is eating the world. And it is. And so my experience over the years of being a software engineer and an architect and all the other things I've done, you're always building tools to help people. And then a little by little, your tools are automating things. And so maybe you might need fewer people. But what we didn't necessarily see coming was this other thing that wasn't like that, like a Facebook, the rise of the social media, which seemed really awesome at the time. Hey, what a great way to pull all the people of the world together. And now we're all going to know each other better and we'll have better relationships and everything. And you know what? A lot of that started out that way. Twitter came out when Facebook came out, all those things they didn't really have much of algorithms going on. It was just like whatever your friends were putting in, whoever you were connected with, you just kind of see them linearly. And it was really basic. But as soon as algorithms got inserted in there, and algorithms are things that we use all throughout it. That's how you do analytics. That's how you make decisions in software. Self-reinforcing algorithms, you know, have made things like Facebook, you know, obviously melt down lately and create echo chambers inside groups. And so as soon as software engineers and data scientists realized, hey, I can get you to stay on my website longer if I'm making you angry or if I'm reinforcing feelings that you have that might be out of the norm or I'm putting you in a group of people that all think alike and I self-reinforce there and I can drive people to do things they may not do otherwise. Gosh, I mean, just if you just think about social media, you know, again, the internet was supposed to bring us all together and it's been great, but like any technology, the technology is neutral, but it can be used for bad or good, or sometimes we kind of steer off the path somewhere along the way. And so, you know, we've seen this presidential elections, the vitriol I see on social media. I've never seen people hate each other the way I've seen and people putting themselves into groups. People, a lot of stuff that people never even talked about are now talked about. And you know how people are different when they talk face-to-face versus when they're hiding behind their keyboard? Yeah, yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's such a thing. And so whatever the issue is that's popping up that day, you have some people jumping all over that and you guys suck and you're evil and, you know, I'm going to cancel you or whatever, right? right? And so you have that happening for both directions. And we just didn't see that polarization before. That just didn't exist. And so social media is beyond amplifying feelings that people might have had. I think it's stoking new ones. And obviously, we all remember what happened with Cambridge Analytica, you know, driving influencing things on Facebook during a presidential election. We've seen what Russians do where they put their agents into just little fake accounts to just stoke things, to get discussions going, get people going into traffic. And so it's huge levels of manipulation. You mentioned young girls feeling bad about themselves on Instagram because, and it's the same thing as Facebook, Instagram. Oh, all these girls are so pretty. And maybe I'm, I don't live up to that. And now I'm getting depressed and maybe I've got some really dark thoughts And people say this on Facebook, too. Everybody's putting their best face on Facebook. Look how awesome my life is. You know, and everybody on there is like, man, everybody's got it going on. Everybody's killing it. But I'm not killing it. And God, it's now making me depressed where maybe I wouldn't have been otherwise. And the reality is all those people who are putting on a good face, they've got their own problems, too. 
but everybody's kind of playing make-believe on the internet. So here's a, a follow-up that it will send the chill up the spine of some percentage of listeners out there. We had this world that more or less was in a constant state of how we communicated with each other. Things had not changed in a significant way, you know, I don't know, in a very long time. And I mean, I think 2010 didn't look that much different than 1910. For the most part, people did talk about certain things, did not talk about other things. Now a new stimulus has been introduced and the world is radically different. Politics completely different. You know, you cannot talk to people that have the opposing view to you. It's just impossible, whatever. Do you think we're living in base reality or are we in some kind of a simulation where, you know, they have decided to introduce to a stable control set this new data, you know, and now they're observing us, this sample. Hey, here's what happens when you force people that really should not be communicating with each other. You force them into some kind of, you know, I'm seeing on Facebook what all my high school friends think about, oh, you know, the earth is flat. And I'm like, that's, what are you talking about? It's flat, you know, and it just, it's an outrage machine. Is this base reality? What's your view on this? Well, you know, my physical view right now is all I'm seeing on your screen is just ones and zeros and things going down the screen. And so <laughs> I I have a strong feeling that you're plugged in. You're in a pod somewhere, actually. You know what? It, it starts to seem not as crazy when you think about that, because the way we're being manipulated, it's almost like someone's performing an experiment on all of humanity. Not unlike you might do on your own experiments when you're trying to find out stuff or how we you know, doing testing on animals or whatever, right? And so, yeah, it's very likely that you and I are both plugged into the, some kind of matrix right now. And it's um, it's all a simulation. You know, I think I saw Elon. I think he's in the pod next to you. But yeah, there's, you know, I, I know a lot of people freaked out when Elon Musk was saying, you know, there's a good chance that we're all in a simulation. And pe people go, that's ridiculous. But is it? Not a lot of well, people, not a lot of people's brain works at the level that Elon's works. And he wasn't trying to just be silly. He was thinking about the level, just like we were talking about, the compute power is accelerating, AI is accelerating, all these things. And if you think out to the future, you could get to a point where it's so advanced that someone could create an entire simulation and we would all be living in it. I say living in air quotes and not realizing it. And so I think he was thinking out that, hey, it's totally possible. We'll absolutely get to that place. Who knows if we're there now? When you hear somebody, you know, under a freeway that's selling, you know, tangerines out of a shopping cart, say the world is a simulation. It's easy to discount when it's, you know, this rocket scientist super genius who appears to be winning the game, you know, at least by some metrics of winning saying, you know, hey, this is simulation. It's a very, it has a very different impact. And, you know, the guy who has the high score currently, there's some level of seriousness where you at least have to reflect on the question itself. You have to. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you're right. You have some of the brightest minds. Also, who are some of the biggest people who are against the evolution of AI? It's e there's Elon and a few others are like, this isn't going to end well for us. Mm -mm. And, and, you know, that goes back to saying technology is neutral. And it can be used for good or bad. But historically, what have we seen? There are some messed up people on this planet. And they love to grab a hold of stuff and use it for evil. And it always happens. And so 
if history is our guide, when AI, when we get to true AI, we're, we don't have AI today. Lots of people, that's a marketing term today. But when we get to general AI, watch out because someone's going to use it for bad. But guess what? The good guys are thinking, well, even though that could happen, I need to still keep progressing my advancements and knowledge on AI to combat whatever the the black team, the red team, the evil team, the whatever team is going to use against me. And so it's almost like a nuclear arms race around AI. And so everyone feels compelled to do it. But yeah, it could all go really badly. And then we would, it could be Skynet, you know, you know, general AI kind of self-aware, making its own decisions, not this BS that we call AI today, which is these super limited use cases. And it's just some machine learning and some reinforcement stuff. Yeah, watch out. We could be there now. It could be the year 3075 right now for all we know. And we just don't know it. It's just like the Matrix. You were living in the height of Western civilization in 1999, which was the peak of humanity. They had no idea. You have your Agent Smith just saying, look at them out there. Just right. living their lives. Totally oblivious. <laughs> all right, folks. So we're going to move on from this topic. But I think we'll be revisiting this the next time we have Rob on the show. If you have questions for Rob... Drop them in LinkedIn in the thread below the episode, and we'll ask your question on there. Give you a shout out for for asking the question, Rob. So I'm gonna go through three lightning round questions, and then okay. we're gonna send everybody off. Question one: I always like to, you know, normally I would ask, "Hey, what's next for Erickson?" We really didn't talk about Erickson at all, right? So let's yeah. talk about Rob. What's next for Rob? You're working with Moab Foundation. What do folks need to know about Moab Foundation, and and what's coming down the pipe for Rob Moab? IoT, things worth calling out in your sphere. Yeah, yeah. So the Moab thing is a foundation I started a couple of years ago, or actually it was before I joined Ericsson. You know, I've been in this IoT game and, and also the digital twin game for a long time. Dove into that building Lumata and realized that digital twins are kind of the thing and they should be at the heart of any IoT system, actually. And I actually build this stuff. I know I'm a vice president at a giant company, but I never stop writing code. And I never stopped designing things. And so on the side, I said, gosh, I've learned a lot about how to build these systems. And I also discovered that all this stuff doesn't have to just be used for business or commercial endeavors. It turns out the, the capabilities. What are you doing when you're doing IT? You're finding out something remotely. You're measuring something. And it's far away and it's going to just send it to you through the magic of some kind of connectivity instead of you having to visit that place. And then you can reason across that stuff and come up with decisions. I was like, you know, I bet we could use this with climate. I bet we could use this with water issues. I bet we could use this with hunger and poverty. And so I started building this digital twin platform. And, you know, just I had this company called Enterprise IoT before I joined Ericsson. And so the platform was called Moab, just like the, the town in Utah. And started building this platform and the whole goal was to give it away and to give it to people who are going to go help make a difference, you know, in the world. And then what came along that helped me was the United Nations had come out with these 17 sustainable development goals, you know, and you can look them up online, but they're, if, if nothing else, it's a great way to categorize how you might go after use cases. You don't want to pound a square peg at a round hole, but I realized, oh, okay, this helps organize my thoughts. This Moab technology could be used for Hunger with agriculture, right? You know, water issues, all that kind of stuff, right? Because you can't make decisions and manage things if you don't know about what's going on first. So get the word out there on the SDGs. 
give technology to people and recipes, use cases on how they can go move the needle in different parts of the world to help people with this technology. That's kind of what Moab is. At Ericsson, obviously, we're all about connectivity. You know, we sell cellular gear primarily to the mobile operators that everyone uses with their phones and with IoT if they're using cellular IoT. And so Ericsson is, you know, I can probably count on one hand the companies that make 5G technology. And so Ericsson's one of them. And so that's the big thing. We're rolling out 5G all over the planet right now with mobile operators. And so that's going strong. You know, it's going to take a while, but that's exciting. The IoT stuff we do inside Ericsson, we have this global connection management system working with about 36 mobile operators. I think we got, I don't know, like 80,000 customers on it or 80 million, rather 80 million, 6,000 enterprises. But the gist of that is being able to have connectivity for your IoT devices, think connected cars, roaming across countries, staying connected, and we've built this giant infrastructure globally to make that happen. It's actually a private network that we manage for IoT devices all over the world. And so that's the big thing. We And again, we are heavily into connected cars. And then I'm working on a project codenamed Thunderstruck right now, like the ACDC song. And so that's important. And so it's, I'm trying to address problems I've seen. The initial idea was there's issues in an IoT that I've seen. You know, why is it underperforming? You know, there's a lot of complexity on the device side, on the platform side. It requires a lot of different skill sets that people don't necessarily have. And so spent a bunch of time building technology to streamline the device side, automate server side, and then add extreme levels of security. You hear a lot about zero trust. And so there's a lot of zero trust built into this data pipeline that's in Thunderstruck because people are getting hacked to death these days if you read the news every day. And so this is tried to mitigate that. But also I've aimed this technology over the summer at agriculture. I was doing testing out the technology and I just happened to be testing it out on a farm. It could have been a factory, but I was testing out on a farm and then I ended up just spending the whole summer out on farms and using this technology there and learning more about the needs of these farmers, which ties into sustainability in a huge way. There's a lot of scary stuff that people don't realize. Like if people knew that we're going to have to almost double food production between now and 2050 because of this population explosion, that is a tall order. And IoT can help knowing what's going on, applying the right natural resources like water or fertilizer and things like that, and not just wasting it back to knowing versus guessing, right? And so there's a lot of ways to move the needle because I know a lot of people living in cities and they go to restaurants and grocery stores and they just don't even think about this stuff. But right. all that stuff could just disappear like that. We had a, a company, a, a gentleman by the name of Praveen, CEO of Monarch Motors. They make, I don't know if you know these guys, sort of a Tesla for tractors. They yeah. were a, a guest a few episodes back. We're big fans of Precision Ag here on the show. So moves through our last two questions. Who's doing, you know, so you're sort of the godfather of IoT. You got this huge footprint in the space. Everybody knows about Rob Tiffany. Who's doing good work in IoT? Could be industrial, could be consumer, yeah. could be commercial. You know, who's somebody out there doing great work that you think more people should know about? Yeah, I'll throw out some names. Folks over at Losant, they're in Cincinnati. Great platform, great, easy to use, kind of that, you know, almost has that node red feel to their analytics 
I think Losant's doing great work. You know, they've got a great platform that does great edge capability. They make it real. Yeah, Charlie Key and that whole team over there, I remember meeting them at IoT World a few, several years ago. When you show up and you have a booth at a conference, and instead of just showing a PowerPoint, you actually have things connected to PLCs and pumps and making it real for people while at the same time showing easy to use screens. That's powerful stuff. They're doing great work. Clearblade, Eric Simone, Aaron Allsbrook down in Austin at Clearblade, you know, they really pushed the envelope, I think, on edge stuff early on. I know they're doing a lot of stuff in rail. I think they're a great team. I love spending time talking with them. In fact, Aaron and I had a big smackdown earlier this year. We went back and forth on LinkedIn on digital twins, and it was ridiculous, actually, and funny. Another one I like is Elevate. They're up here in the Seattle area. Adam Levsey uh, and that team there. They're focused more on, I'd say, fleet stuff, industrial, but also things that are moving around. I think they're doing great work, too. There's a lot of people doing some good stuff out there, no doubt about it. All right, folks. Well, that concludes part two with Rob Tiffany, our first ever two-part episode. If you liked what you heard, email us at podcast at very possible or send me a message on LinkedIn. Don't forget to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the internet. You shouldn't have to worry about IoT projects dragging on or unreliable vendors you've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. Very's close-knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers, and curious builders know how to turn your ideas into a reality, on time and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, we'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com. You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.